All right, Mike, are you ready to play a game? I'm willing to give this a shot. All right, so three quotes. Can you guess the movie that I'm going to be talking about in today's episode? First quote, never run from anything immortal. It only attracts their attention. The mummy? No. No, so this would be... <laughs> all right, number two. Don't cry. If you have become human enough to cry, then all the magic in the world cannot change you back. Oh, I can see it, I think. Nope, I don't know, though. Last one? Okay, here we go. I don't, and I don't use the word that would help. Heroes know that things must happen when it's time for them to happen. A quest may not simply be abandoned. Unicorns may go unrescued for a long time, but not forever. A happy ending cannot come in the middle of the story. Unicorns is in the title. It's an animated feature. Oh, you've lost with that, unfortunately. Oh, okay. It's based on a book. The last it, unicorn. The uh. last unicorn. <laughs> the wife got it. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to A Bit of Fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. So it was super fun to have my brother and sister-in-law on the pod to kick off the second season and to jumpstart a conversation about kids' movies we grew up watching. This first movie we're going to talk about wasn't one that I really watched a lot as a kid. In fact, I don't think I watched it until uh, maybe five, six years ago, Um, but it kept popping up on the interwebs as a favorite, a cult classic, if you will. So I thought I'd check it out again for an episode. So I'm switching things up just a little bit this season, trying to see what feels right in the movie rundowns. We'll start with some lazy internet researching for a bit of context, because sometimes that's helpful. And there's some cool things you can read about on the internet. And then we'll dive into a spoiler-filled recap of the movie peppered with some of my thoughts and opinions, because I have a lot, as you might remember from season one when we talked about animated Disney movies. And then I'll share kind of my favorite thing in the movie, my least favorite thing. Um, We're also going to take a look a little bit at the elements of storytelling. So how I felt about the characters, the plot, the setting, um, and then we'll tuck in some life lessons learned and final thoughts in there as well. So it's going to be a lot of fun, um, but today we are kicking off this second season with the episode for The Last Unicorn. Before we dive into that spoiler-filled summary. Let's go ahead and get into the lazy internet research. Some of this I found kind of interesting. So the movie came out in 1982, and it was directed by Arthur Rankin Jr. and Jules Bass. Now, I have mentioned them before when I talked about my love for the Christmas classic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So they are the geniuses behind the creation and a lot of other holiday and non-holiday movies. Um, More specifically with stop motion, I think that's where I knew them from. I didn't realize they got into regular animation as well, Uh, but they did apparently with this one. And it's based on the 1968 book of the same name by Peter S. Beagle. Again, I've not read this. Maybe I need to check it out. Maybe, actually I'm positive. The book is better than the movie. It has to be. Uh, spoiler, I did not really like this movie, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit about. Um, but, but I often wondered, 
as I was watching what I was missing, what elements of storytelling did not come across great in the animation, um, what could have been improved upon, what was just flat left out, if there was any additional character development that just didn't make its way onto the screen. So maybe I might have to check it out. I don't know. Or maybe I'll just wait for somebody to tell me they've read it and loved it and I'll just pick their brains about it. The interesting thing about this. So the animators came from a studio called Top Craft Studios and they were out of Tokyo. They had previously worked on the 1977 animated version of The Hobbit and the 1979 animated version of Return of the King, which is not a surprise. Uh, there are several human-specific characters within The Last Unicorn that look very similar to the artwork on both of those. And I grew up watching both The Hobbit and The Return of the King. Um, so it, it was kind of fun to see that familiar animation. But the core members of Topcraft would later be hired by Hayao Miyazaki to develop Nausicaa Valley of the Wind. And then they would later form Studio Ghibli, which I love Studio Ghibli. I hope to eventually one day get to do a season specifically on the Studio Ghibli filmography. And so I just thought that was very interesting. I think, I feel like they had a complete turn in vision and inspiration as they started to make the Miyazaki films compared to this one. Uh, but it was just an, an interesting little tidbit. And the most of the music was performed by the legendary 70s rock, rock band America. That was also very interesting and a very... Um, unexpected choice. I, I, I don't know about a rock band providing the soundtrack for an animated movie when the band itself is in a completely different era, <laughs> era than the setting. We'll talk about it a little bit in the end. So the movie, though, was originally intended for an adult audience, which kind of makes a little more sense because I'm sure not a lot of like young kids would have known who the band America was. And I was trying to, you know, I think I might have saw America perform. I think they opened for the Beach Boys the first time I got to see the Beach Boys. And I, I think I knew one song and that was it. But I would have never, I had no idea what the name of the band was until my parents told me I'd only heard it on the classic rock station that they played it from time to time. I mean, I grew up listening to mostly British Invasion slash 60s hits, which I still listen to a lot of Sirius XM 60s on 6, but um, there was some America that would get snuck in there as well. So very interesting. That's it. That was all my lazy internet research. You know, it's not, it's not in depth. It's just a on the surface kind of look at the movie. But let's go ahead and dive into that spoiler filled walkthrough. Here we go. Let's take a deep dive into the classic, The Last Unicorn. So this lady unicorn, she overhears two random gentlemen hunting in her woods say that there are no more unicorns left. They get out of Dodge pretty quickly. Something about, I think, um, at least what I took from it, that we should not hunt in a potentially magical forest because then you'd have to eat magical meat. I could have heard that wrong, but that's what I got out of it. But seeing as how she is when she starts to suspect that she's the only one left. She's not seen another unicorn in a while. Why she didn't pick up on that earlier is never explained. I mean, apparently unicorns are solitary creatures who don't really give a fig for their kind until they're told they're all gone. I don't know. I don't know how she doesn't notice that maybe she's the only one left. So 
Naturally, as one does, she goes gallivanting around the forest, asking the little creatures that she comes across what her name is. Not, do you know what I am? Which would make more sense to me. No, she asks her name. What is my name? Which then leads the movie watcher to wonder if all unicorns are in fact named Unicorn. Um, that's what we're going to call her throughout the movie, throughout this synopsis. So could get a little confusing, but we're just going to go with it. That's what those, so she's out gallivanting, right? And that's when she comes across a singing butterfly who likes to speak in riddles. And at the very end of a very confusing conversation, Unicorn discovers that the other unicorns disappeared because of something called the Red Bull and a king in the counting house. Now, that seems to be enough information to start her quest and a number of montages to some pretty ridiculous songs that carry a really heavy burden of storytelling in the lyrics. I mean, it's kind of spot on the lyrics with what you're seeing in the animation. Before long, Unicorn stops for a nap and is promptly captured by a scary sorceress known as Mommy Fortuna. Not Mama, which is where I thought we were going to be going, which flows off the tongue a little better, but mommy, mommy Fortuna, which just adds a whole nother level of creepy. Employed by mommy, ugh, it just is weird, is a young wizard named Schmedrick. Not Frederick, like you think, but Schmedrick. Another interesting choice for a name. Schmedrick is kind of big for his bridges, bridges and he can he can see through Unicorn's magic, which apparently keeps her hidden from man, not women. We might need to explore, explore that a little later. He decides that he's going to release Unicorn and does a lot of not very effective magic to no avail. That's when he pulls out a ring of keys that he swiped from this little dwarvish guy who looks and acts suspiciously like Gollum from the animated Hobbit. Why he didn't start with the keys is beyond me. Um, he he made a big show of this magic that didn't work, and then it's like, oh, wait, yeah, I pickpocketed these off of the little guy over there. Ugh. So once released, the unicorn starts to free some of the other creatures in Mommy's menagerie. I just cannot stand this Mommy business. Including a harpy that looks like a vulture but has three boobs. It was I'm going to be honest, a little uncomfortable to look at, <laughs> which I think is probably the case. The unicorn, unicorn felt kind of a kinship with this other mortal kind of creature. For some reason, unicorn decides to, um, let Harpy out. Harpy tries to then kill Unicorn, but Schmedrick says to just walk away because a Harpy can only see you if you hurry. Did you hear that correctly? No, no, just walk. If you go any faster than a walk, then you're going to draw its attention. I'm just not sure about this magic. So now Unicorn has the start of a posse. Schmedrick is dedicated to helping her find the rest of the long-lost unicorns. And they end up wandering into a different forest and are forced to split up when they hear humans coming. Schmedrick is immediately caught and taken into the woods to the lair of a band of outlaws. And this scene is pointless. Schmedrick does some more ridiculous magic, making them believe that Robin Hood and his merry band of outlaws is walking by. So they're ghostly figures now walking through the woods. This real band of outlaws is just beside themselves excited and they go running off after Robin Hood. 
except for a couple of the leaders who catch Schmedrick again, and they tie him to a tree. Now this tree, Schmedrick brings to life, um, again in an awkward move, again having to do with boobs. All of a sudden this tree has two very large bosoms, and um, Schmedrick's head, head is like right between, in the cleavage. Oh, I just, I, this scene made zero sense. But Unicorn finally saves him. She catches up and finally saves him using her magic. So there, though, I think the only point of the scene was Molly Grew. They pick up another posse member. And Molly Grew, who was previous in, previously an outlaw, she could also see through Unicorn's magic because she's a woman. And she was a little bitter about it at first, um because she'd always been waiting to see a unicorn and she was a maiden and they were supposed to come to her and it never did. Uh, they didn't give a whole lot to that particular moment, but you could just, you could tell there was, there was some history between Molly Grew and her lack of never seeing a, a unicorn. Um, but they, the three of them then continue on to the castle and how they know which castle is still not explained well. This king of the counting house, no idea how they know where they're supposed to be going from that stupid riddle. Just so happens that they do stumble upon a castle that looks a lot like Mordor. And as they approach a red cloud bursts from the turrets and the magical bull appears because why not and it starts chasing and nearly killing unicorn until schmedrick turns her into a very naked human there's just lots of either naked or bosoms undeterred by this turn of events they continue to the castle and meet king haggard and his his son prince lear okay so naked unicorn lady is is only wearing a cloak, but nobody mentions, draws attention to the fact that there is a naked woman standing in the court. <laughs> I'd be like, dude, where's your clothes? <laughs> so they convince Haggard to let them stay. Schmedrick becomes his new court wizard. They oust this other guy without much of a fight at all. And Molly becomes the maid. And I have some issues with that, except that it puts Molly in direct communication with, you got to hear this, with a pegged leg cat sporting an eye patch that talks like a pirate. <gasps> he may be my favorite character in the whole movie. Pirate Cat, of course, has another riddle, because why not, for the posse, on how to actually reach the Red Bull's cavern. Because as soon as Schmedrick turned Unicorn into a naked lady, the bull was like, well, I don't know what this is anymore. This isn't a unicorn, and he disappeared. So they are trying to get to the Red Bull's cavern because they believe that the other long-lost unicorns will be there. Meanwhile, Prince Lear has fallen madly in love with Unicorn Naked Lady, even though she won't say two words to him. He sets off to become a hero that is worthy of her. How he figures her standards, I don't know. While Unicorn Naked Lady is slowly forgetting who she is and what she's looking for. Apparently being human is getting to her head. She's, she's not dealing well with being a mortal. Schmedrick and Molly, they work together to solve Pirate Cat's riddle. They get Unicorn Naked Lady to the cavern, and they eventually discover, the <laughs> they eventually discover that the unicorns are trapped in the waves of the ocean just outside the castle walls. They are being kept there by the Red Bull, who is now 
after them once again. So he now realizes that Unicorn Naked Lady is a unicorn and he's coming after them. Schmedrick ends up turning Unicorn Naked Lady back to just Unicorn and she stares down the bull with all this confidence, giving the trapped unicorns time to escape. So all of a sudden there's these waves crashing onto the beach and as they're crashing, there's unicorns racing out. They don't give their human saviors even a nod of thanks before running off like ungrateful immortals. It did in that moment just a little bit. If you have not read The Scorpio Races by Maggie Stiefvater, you should absolutely do that. It is about carnivorous horses that come out of the ocean um, and those that can be caught and tamed are used in a race and these two young people are racing and it's a fantastic book. It's a little creepy. She does an amazing job um, of, of setting a, a very specific kind of tone. But but that's the end of the movie. I just, I, I got distracted. <laughs> so the, the unicorns come out of the surf. Our unicorn, she's like, yeah, thanks, whatevs, and just kind of goes off. And that was the end. <sighs> so let's take a look at the characters. We've only got a few of consequence. First, we've got Unicorn. She's the damsel in distress, the last of her kind, except there's nothing about her that makes you care at all. I mean, we learn that unicorns don't regret. That was a big plot point for some reason, that they are void of emotion and don't really care for anyone or anything but themselves. She's even annoying as a unicorn naked lady. <laughs> so as the linchpin of this entire plot of this movie, she comes up lacking. They try to make you believe that she's grown by the end of the film, that she does in fact feel regret because... Prince Lear did love her, but she had to become a unicorn again, I guess. I don't, she, there was just no development and nothing to make you root for this creature who doesn't seem to like anybody. So I, I did not love her. Then we have Schmedrick and Molly Grew, and I'm grouping them together because they're basically the same person, except that one cleans and the other does magic he doesn't understand. So they are blindly following around this immortal creature who doesn't hold them in any kind of regard. And while it's sort of noble, this idea of saving an endangered creature, the act only feels noble if the creature is worthy of saving, which I argue beyond magic, she is not. So you feel kind of bad for them in the end. They do stay together. I don't know if it's romantical. I'm going to choose to believe that it was, that they become a cute little couple. Um, I, I don't know if that's a legitimate situation or not but uh they do decide to whatever journey they are going to continue on after that they decide to go together which i thought was kind of sweet then we have the evil king hagrid who doesn't even want power he convinces the red bull how we're never told we don't know where this red bull comes from what kind of magic is, was it like, did this bowl, was it originally in the castle that Hagrid take, took over? I, none of that is explained at all. Um, but he convinces the Red Bull to capture the unicorns because he just likes to look at them. He's not trying to harness their power. He's not trying to hold them as leverage for some other gain. He just likes to look at them. Okay. And then we've got Prince Lear, who falls in love with a shell of a character, probably because he himself is a shell of a character. And we also have a host of secondary humans and creatures who are only there to move the plot along. We do have 
the pegged-legged, eye-patch-wearing, pirate-speaking cat, which is brilliant. There's nothing wrong with the cat's eye. He does change the eye patch from one eye to the other at one point, which just really makes him a boss as far as I'm concerned. Now, as for the plot, very simple without any subplots. <laughs> unicorn wants to find the other unicorns. That's it. That's the totality of the conflict. The exposition is weak and doesn't provide a lot of information. Creatures that speak in riddles do not context provide. We have the rising action that just includes a lot of musical montages. And by the time we get to the climax, Unicorn Naked Lady is basically mute. She's not even talking. And the falling action is an abrupt ending to the movie with just a hint of a conclusion. I'm just not sure why this one is so beloved. I mean, maybe it's the music. Maybe there are just a lot of fans of the rock band America out there. And that's that's why it's loved by so many, or maybe it's not even loved by so many. Maybe there's just a few people out on the interwebs making lists of movies and they've only seen five. So they just keep putting this on there. I don't know. I would love to hear if this is one of your favorites. I mean, or maybe fans of The Hobbit and Return of the King just really like the animation and keep watching it. Or people who like singing butterflies. Oh, I just don't know. I don't understand. The setting. The last part here. So it's med medieval, maybe. Oh, that's what they want you to believe. But it, it seems we're also supposed to believe it's a world we're familiar with, but that lives alongside the magical with clairvoyant butterflies who know songs from a couple hundred years in the future. I mean, I can get behind unicorns. They make appearances in several of my favorite movies. But the butterfly thing and the Robin Hood ghosts and the foggy red bull, I just, I don't know. It's a lot like when I talk about, talked about um, in Disney, how you would have a world populated by anthropomorphic animals that made references to a lot of very human pop culture pop culture things. It doesn't it doesn't make sense. It's like you're trying to stuff two things together uh that should not be stuffed together. Like medieval and the rock band America. It's just was very interesting choices that I I'm, I'm not sure I I know I don't fully understand. All right. So that was our our spoiler filled synopsis. <laughs> with my peppered thoughts. I had a hard time finding the lesson in this one, one of those life lessons that I, I tend to be able to find from time to time. But when you don't really like any of the characters except a cat that dresses like a pirate, finding something worthy of remembering is tricky. But then I started thinking about Schmedrick and Molly again, this idea that the right thing doesn't always come in friendly noble packages. They didn't have to like Unicorn. They probably did. They were really simple characters. But they believed in her. Helping someone else, maintaining tradition, keeping magic alive is the exact right kind of nobility. And they weren't the bravest, the strongest, the smarter, smartest characters. They were just willing to step up and help someone in need. And so I, don't, I think there's, there is the lesson there that sometimes it just takes somebody caring and somebody willing to make the effort to make um, amazing, wonderful things happen. My least favorite thing in the movie, I'm going to say it, even though it kind of hurts me to say it a little bit, the animation. It felt all over the place. I liked a lot of the scenes individually, but there were times when it felt like every character seemed to be drawn by a different artist with no shared 
vision or cohesion. The opening sequence was really kind of neat. I, it's hard to explain, but it looked as almost if um, like a diorama or the the kind of puppetry where you see layers of paper to it. I'm not explaining this well, but there were layers. There was depth to it. And so at first it was like, oh my goodness, this is going to be fantastic. And then it abruptly changed and you get the Hobbit feel. And then it changes again. And the opening credits make it look like, um, like a tapestry almost, which was weird. And then it changed again. The unicorn has these a very specific look. She's got these really skinny legs and a kind of a pointy muzzle. Do horses have horses? Norses. Do horses have muzzles? The nose, uh, a regular horse's nose is a lot more square. Hers was not. Um, so she looked a lot different than some of the other creatures. And then you did have the very specific hobbit look, but then you had a character like Molly Gru who did not look like them at all. It was very confusing, the artwork, and, and I didn't love it. But my favorite thing, as hilarious as I found it, I'm going to go with the music by America. <laughs> you know, they can really harmonize. And while the lyrics were a bit on the nose, I liked the repetitiveness of the songs and the frequent, um, re I don't, how's that word say? A reprise, you know, when they, they bring part of the song back, it gave continuity to the film that the animation did not. So I really, I did actually like the music by America. Final wrap up, character recasting. You know, I was pretty happy with the choices of voice actors. It was kind of fun to hear the younger voices of some entertainers I really, really like. Jeff Bridges, Alan Arkin, Angela Lansbury. It was a very star-studded cast and there was no voice that felt off. Um, so I think they did an excellent job. No character recasting needed. Does this or did this need a sequel? Nope, it did not. I don't think it had one. I know that the book is a part of a series, so there's probably more that could have gone on, but hard pass to the idea of a sequel. Rewatchability? Probably not for me. Not for me. I think this is going to be it between me and The Last Unicorn. But what do you think of The Last Unicorn? Is this one of your favorites? What am I missing? Please, please let me know. But that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, really. It is so appreciated. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. I will be back next week with two new discussions about 80s movies that we watched growing up as kids. Um, but if you've got the time before, then it would be awesome if you could rate and review the podcast, but only if it's nice. And if you want to share it too, if you think somebody else would really enjoy this, please, please, please share. You can share um, my Insta you know, my social media post or um, a, a screenshot of what you're listening on, however you want to do it. But that would be wonderful if you could do that. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook as a bit of fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today and I will see you next time. Thank you.